Good morning. As Brother Pat mentioned, we're in Matthew chapter 21. Duh. We certainly want to read it in its full context, uh, that verse 19, which he mentioned. So we'll start reading, <clears throat> and we'll also read the same account uh, in the other synoptic gospel uh, of Mark. We'll begin with verse 18. It says, Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you, <clears throat> if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Or this morning as we open your word, uh, once again as we have been called to do as a, a body of believers in a local assembly, God, we ask that you would exalt the name of the Almighty Christ, the Son of the living God, the living even Son of the living God, he who is seated at the right hand, who Hebrews tells us is the creator of all things and the Savior of all men who would be saved. Lord, it is to him uh, who we look this morning and whom we look for in the text of Scripture. God, we ask uh, as men are pictured this morning as fruitless sinners, God, we pray that your word be fruitful, fruitful in causing men to repent or in causing worship to you, O God. As we begin to see clearly should your spirit lead us to do so, Lord, we pray that the name of Christ is exalted. Uh, Lord, that Christ is preached up and that sin is preached down. Lord, that we may find ourselves engaged in a spiritual warfare in which our Redeemer who lives shall be the victor. Lord, a battle in which the flesh shall die and only Christ shall remain. Lord, we thank you for the ability, Lord, both and the desire to be here this morning. Lord, to be able to read your word, to open it, Lord, to hear it with ears, and not only physical ears, but with spiritual ears, and to see with spiritual eyes those things unseen by those who are of this world. God, we thank you for your great grace and mercy and that the truths of Christ may be revealed to us. God, we pray that you would use the word to sanctify us, to enrich our lives, both temporal and that which is eternal, or to cause us to be more like our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we turn to Mark chapter 10, we will see the same account as recorded by Mark. Uh, it says, chapter 11, verse 12, On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples we're listening. It is not mere happenstance uh, that this morning's account of Jesus' ministry begins with the fig tree, something that we have all um, most likely have heard, a text of Scripture in which uh, we may find at times perplexing, and we must admit that it does seem at first glance, odd that 
Jesus, the Christ, would curse this fig tree, for it is part already of a cursed world. In essence, as we read the text of Scripture this morning, I uh, began by looking at the passage throughout the week in Matthew, but I, I think Mark maybe gives uh, a better linear account of what has happened. For what we will see is if we look at Mark, the same account that we see in Matthew, first the fig tree is cursed, and then the very next day, as it seems from the text, the temple is cleansed. Matthew uh, sort of presents those things out of order, uh, not that there is a discrepancy there, uh, just simply uh, like we may record the events that we see, we might tell them out of order if we just remember what happened during the week and we're just simply giving an account. I believe that is what happened, but Mark has taken uh, some greater detail in describing to us what has happened. And it is not by happenstance that Christ is first cursing the tree and then finding himself at the temple to cleanse it, to cast out of the temple what is not bearing fruit. And this morning, certainly, uh, fruit is on the agenda. Fruit is part of the feast as we take from the Word of God. We'll begin, of course, looking back in Matthew chapter 21 at the first verse. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Very important detail about the Savior in which we serve. A very important uh, depiction if you will of jesus the christ is pictured here as one who has gone to sleep the night before and has rested and has now early in the morning with the significance of the greek he uh, the greek language here as it is presented of he it is now morning time when he will rise and this jesus being god but being fully as well man in the flesh is now hungry jesus wasn't just rising and he wasn't just hungry, but it says he was returning from the city. This was the Jesus who is pictured for us this morning as one who is at work. First and foremost, this is a Savior who has uh, taken upon himself the flesh of man and has come not to take a vacation, but to save men. Jesus is presented in this text, though subtly, as a working man. A man who is working at things that no other man can work towards. Jesus is working towards the salvation of man as he approaches his hour, as he approaches the cross. Here he is ministering, and uh, presently speaking, he is ministering to Jews. People of God, people is presented as having something that uh, up until this point all men have lacked. An availability of a relationship with God. The knowledge of God and His Word. For many have rejected it, and as we will see, so shall the Jews. In fact, this morning, though, it seems odd as the fig tree is representative of those Jewish men and women who claim to have relationship with God, but who are in fact bearing no fruit, we will see that at the same time, it is a glorious thing that Christ would move beyond this tree to another, that He would cause to bear fruit even the Gentiles and the Jews as well. But as we look, this is morning time. He's returning uh, to the city. He has gone before uh, is evidence from the text because it says he is returning. Therefore, he has gone before. Jesus is constantly preaching the gospel. This morning, if we miss everything else from the text, all of the insinuations, we must simply see that there is a model for Christian evangelism. There is a model for the church as she reads this, that Christ was found working, going unto men and women preaching the gospel. That is not what we do this morning. We assemble in vain. If we do not preach the gospel, if we do not present the gospel, if we do not love the gospel, and if we do not respond appropriately to the gospel, again, another uh, essence of the text this morning, a response to the gospel. It says, Although he had become hungry, now representing for us the humanity of Jesus amidst the deity of Jesus, that he, like other men, was hungry, that he, like other men, was tired, as we see from the text of Scripture. Uh, Jesus loved as men at least think that they love. Jesus was engaged in everything that men were engaged with emotionally, physically, 
uh, and spiritually except for sin. Jesus was completely man. He was completely God. He was uh, both, and he still remains, and that is why he is qualified, as Hebrews presents, as a great high priest. He's appointed as man, and he is sinless as God. Uh, otherwise, we move forward in verse 19. It says, Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. A lot going on in verse 19. But what we see is that Jesus, in his humanity, sees in the distance along the roadside a tree jesus not only sees the tree but he recognizes from its leaves he recognizes on the outside what it appears to be and as we will soon see he recognizes on the inside what it is lacking here in the first uh, portion of verse 19 uh, we see that although jesus has <clears throat> because of his humanity uh, a, a limited view in that we know that his omniscience uh, is not always present there. We see, for lack of a better way to say it, we see that Jesus in his humanity was not omniscient at times, not knowing what was happening. It, he was trusting in, in the Lord, his God, the Most High God, the Father. He was relying upon him. He was doing his will. And at many times he, he is admitting uh, what he has set aside for the sake of humanity and taking on flesh and at this point his omniscience and then in verse 19 we see evidence of these things uh, Jesus's humanity and his becoming hungry and then now his seeing a fig tree because if if it was presented to us the that Jesus had uh, beforehand some knowledge of this tree should he need to go to it to find that it bore no fruit should he need to walk this Jesus to see these things? Should he need to curse again the tree? And these are questions that we ask if we have but a partial understanding of who Christ is. Uh, nevertheless, we see that he sees the tree by the road. It is growing in a rather odd place, it seems to me, near the road. But nevertheless, it is caused uh, because of its nutrients in the soil, because of the water available, it has grown. And as we begin to see this this morning, I believe there are some great spiritual implications in this tree being able to grow. In fact, I'm reminded uh, so often as the many illustrations of trees and trees without fruit, trees with fruits, the, what is necessary for growth throughout the Bible, both temporal and spiritually speaking. And here uh, Jesus is seeing as man sees. He is seeing a fig tree by the road. Now, what's interesting is if a tree, this is a more of a rhetorical question, if a tree is a fig tree or an apple tree, but it never has any figs or it never has any apples, is it really a fig tree? Is it really an apple tree? Great question for the Christian as we engage in introspection this morning and we see that Christ uh, will curse the tree and no fruit has come forth nor shall it ever in his recognition of the tree it is distinguished by the characteristics on the outside of what should be produced on the inside what I, what uh, we also must understand is that if a tree as in God's design is bearing seed after its kind it is meant to reproduce and is meant to continue on though one tree may die offspring the seed the trees that it leaves behind may continue to grow and bear fruit seems similar as to what man is called to do in fact there are many instances in which we see man is comparable to fruit in fact if you uh, do any kind of research you will find uh, hundreds of times almost that uh, the bible mentions fruit and not just in ways of men eating, but in comparable illustrations, uh, men being trees and uh, tied to vines and rooted and established and growing. Uh, the implication there is that what we must understand from the text is that the tree is not deriving of itself its ability to produce. We see even a small 
dimly lit picture at first of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty in the fig tree itself. For it is meant to produce fruit. It is meant to be good to the taste. It is meant to sustain and to live. Yet it cannot, this particular fruit, uh, this particular tree, cannot do that. When we begin to look at the text, we must as well be reminded of this. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Interesting, right? He is the vine, you are the branches. This is being spoken to those who would be considered the Christian, those who are supposed to be uh, the offspring, the brethren born after this first Christ, the firstborn. What we recognize is that if Christ, like this fig tree, if he was the root, there would be fruit. In the illustration that we have of this tree next to the road being fruitless, we have the picture of fallen humanity. We have a picture of a religious yet a Christless people. We have a people who are appearing one way to the masses for it would be beautiful to have this picture of the fig tree and then to notice soon after there's no fruit. How disappointing would that be? How much so disappointing is this if we are the tree? If a man is representative of this fig tree by which he looks to the masses like something to be desired, like something that may provide sustenance. And yet when we go there, when we fall under his branches, we see that there is no fruit. Again, disappointment. In this particular uh, cursing of the tree, uh, we will see time and time again man represented as needful of this Messiah, needing him not only to grow, not only to sprout leaves, not to take root, not only to take root, but also as well to produce fruit. We need him from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, many unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, many professing Christians don't see this need. They feel like the seed may be planted, the seed of the gospel, that they may respond with repentance, and that they are fully sanctified. Not just positionally, but completely some believing now they're even sinless, forgetting that they need this vine, this root who is Christ, to constantly provide the sustenance to water, to cleanse with his word, to provide nourishment. In essence, the daily bread that we read about. And not only that, but it is his spirit who lives with man, who is sent after his ascending into heaven. He says he leaves with us a comforter, and it is that spirit's purpose to cause men to bear fruit. Admittedly, when we look at the text, we don't often quickly see the implications of fallen man and depraved man in the picture and illustration of this fig tree. It says he saw it, he came to it, found nothing but leaves. It had an appearance of goodness. To which again I'm reminded of the words from James in chapter 1. It says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Here we have a picture of a fig tree who has sprouted leaves in vain. It's put on the appearance of fruit but there is none. And, and considering some time living where I do now, we've had fig trees for as long as I can remember. And an interesting thing about the fig tree is that often the, uh, the branches are bare and you start to see these little buds and the fruit starts coming. And then before long, you're like, man, this thing don't even have leaves and here comes fruit. And then all of a sudden the leaves are growing in and the leaves are covering the fruit. Really, the purpose of the leaf is to catch the sunlight, to go through all these photosynthesis processes and all of this to provide to the fruit what is necessary for the seed to put off offspring, to be good to the taste. Interestingly enough, uh, as I considered 
the text of James talking about a religion that appears one way but is spiritually no good. This is exactly what is being seen here. The cursing of the fig tree that will soon come is a mark of Christ's duty as Savior and as judge. It is remarkable in that it depicts uh, a judgment that shall be had upon uh, these Jewish people. A claim that Christ has made and that will be followed through with action and with execution of his will. For those who are not bearing fruit to be cursed. Then I'm remembered, this is not the first time that we've seen figs and fig leaves. I thought about it. I thought, matter of fact, we really begin this entire story of our Savior in a garden where men and women are present and they have eaten fruit sinfully against the will of God, against the command of the Most High God. And quickly their nakedness is revealed and they go to cover nakedness with leaves, fig leaves. I thought, that's pretty interesting. What a coincidence. And then this morning I'm seeing it's not a coincidence. Here it is a reoccurring picture of the grace of God as he is revealing that this tree as well is springing forth fig leaves only to hide its nakedness. There was no fruit. This tree, like Adam and Eve in the garden, has uh, sprung forth with these great leaves, and it is noticeable to the world, but underneath there is nothing but nakedness, empty branches, barely clinging on to life. The truth of dying you shall die, it is uh, a sad but true fact with man. From the moment that we come forth from the womb, we are growing in one sense but dying in the rest the moment that we come uh, the moment that conception begins we begin living and dying the question this morning is what will we do with sin what will we do with our nakedness what will we do should we examine the branches of our own tree and find that there is no fruit for the day of the Lord is coming near in which he will pass by and he will see the truth. Is there any fruit? said that he found nothing on it except the leaves and he said to it, No longer shall there be any fruit from you. And once it withered, the story details and Mark that the men would pass by the next day and the tree was just gone. Nothing left but death and decay. Again, it must cause us to be reminded that today is the day of salvation. There is no guarantee of tomorrow that youthfulness is not a guarantee of old age, nor is financial status, safety of what we call a home or any other such. There is only safety in one, and that is Jesus Christ. Here this morning we see depicted for us a tree who is bearing no fruit, by which we must ask if this fruit tree is akin to man, is it Jewish people, the people of God? Isn't there uh, proof in Galatians chapter 5 that there should be some fruit present? In fact, there is. Verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to what was presented in verse 21, envyings, murder, drunkenness, uh, revilings, and such like this, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The reality is that as the tree was seen with no fruit, so shall religious people be seen in the day in which the Lord so sees it fit to come. Or should he tarry? and call us one by one, our tree will be presented. Our roots will be seen. The truth is that Christ does not need to even pluck us up to know what is in our hearts. He does not need to 
carefully examine as if it were for the first time because he is intimately familiar with the redeemed and with the sinner alike. He knows what is there. Yet the fruit of the Spirit is not multiple fruits, but it is one fruit. It is one fruit that encompasses all in fact, what, what a spiritual fig tree should look like is the parent plant, the root, which Christ says that he was the vine. He is the root. He is that which is the anchor for the soul, as Hebrews uh, permits us to say. He is that which is well-pleasing to God as man and as son and Savior sweet-smelling savor. He is, in essence, the embodiment the Spirit is causing to produce as fruit that is love, that is faith, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and a list of things. He's almost, uh, the best way that I can describe it is, is if you heard somebody talk about uh, eating chicken or pork or turtle. There's seven kinds of meat there. All got its own flavor. This is the It is not simply one good thing, but it is many. It is all. It is the fruit uh, just as Christ is. If he is truly the root, he is exactly what is being put off. This is how Paul may say, as I say many times, that it is no longer he that lives, but Christ who lives in him. It is no longer a tree of Paul, but he has been grafted in into the vine, which is Christ, and he is bearing a different type of fruit. One was a fruit of death. Even worse, like the fig tree, no fruit at all. For there are many illustrations of fruits that, when put to the mouth, although looking good, are bitter, are rotten. Here is one that has no taste at all, for it has no fruit, not even ornamental. Depicted for us is Christ now uh, as he is judging this tree, as only he can do. Think about how many have passed by here. How many could have physically chopped the tree down? How many who could have pulled it up, maybe? Not presented with any particular dimensions but here only christ is now passing by no longer shall there be any fruit from you it almost reminds me not to be quick to judge for soon enough the vineyard owner the christ will come by and he will see in fact it is uh, an instance in which we are to be engaged in mercy what happens we see Trees bearing leaves every day. Many in the walls of the church in which we may find ourselves appearing to be that which is going to put off a huge yield in its season. Doing many services, having many branches, having much greenery, lacking fruit. Fruit is what is being put off as what is being fed is nourishing. Is it simply leaves? Or is there any fruit? Not only this, but he says, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And as it withered, we also know that in Mark, shall ever take of it again. Here I, I see not only judgment upon the tree that is not bearing fruit, but also the judgment that it shall no longer as a false prophet, as a deceiver, deceive those who may pass by those who are hungry those who are thirsting would maybe come to this tree or come to a well and then only find it dry or to find it without fruit jesus said that will not happen he's making not only a proclamation to the sinner who is not putting off fruit to the unrepentant one who has heard the gospel and all of the uh nutrients are there and available yet it is not bearing fruit he is also making a statement for those who belong to him Nobody else is going to come by this road and be deceived by your leaves. Not mine. 
as he presents to the disciples. They were amazed, it says. They asked, how could it wither at once? And it remained within the power of God. Here we see, again, not only the humanity of Jesus, but the deity of Jesus as he possesses the ability to curse, truly, the tree. To cease it from even attempting to look like a tree. What a condemnation is it that the judge of all men may simply come by and not be taken aback by your leaves, but see the true nakedness and may cast us down, may cut us out, may uh, in his own will, by the will of the Father who has sent him, act accordingly to such that we may be destined for this destruction. What a sobering question. Notice that when the story is told, the account is given here, no one asks Jesus, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to curse that tree? Remember, it doesn't say that Jesus owned this particular piece of property. It was near a road. But we're reminded again of who he is, creator of all things. His very sentence tells us that if he could simply or but command the tree to cease, then he must be owner of it truly. How much more so is that true of the human body? As we read this morning, again, uh, divine providence that we would read from our catechism, uh, page 89, asks the questions proper questions about jesus's ability to command jesus's ability even this morning as he commands the fruit the fruit tree as it is i won't call it a fruit because it had no had no fruit but the fruit tree as he as he curses it it remains within his power to do so it is presented because he is the creator of all things we do not rely upon anyone but jesus the christ as man he has created man that he would serve god and man has not done that catechism question to reveal the truth of that we have sinned we have fallen short of god the only way that we will remain and uh, defeat death is if that we bear fruit unto christ in the image of christ just as christ Interestingly enough, though we didn't read it in Mark, it says here, as the disciples were amazed, Jesus' answer to them in their amazement was to have faith and quit doubting. Respond to the gospel. Quit trying to deceive those around you with putting off leaves when there is an, an, an Jesus says you must trust you must have faith. You must believe not only that he is able to save and he is able to preserve a tree, though he did not in this account. We know that he does every day preserve, that he calls in its season the gospel to bear fruit and those who are the fruit of the gospel to bear fruit themselves. What's interesting about this is that we know not the time. We must trust. Not only must we trust, but we must believe. We must believe that Jesus says that sinners will find hell without redemption. We must believe that the wages of the sin is that death and that hell. We must believe that his righteousness alone is sufficient. What we begin to see is a tree, though it has been cursed of this God in the flesh, this Jesus the Christ, it never had life without him. The very thing that man is called to see. No one is calling God into question, or should they be? Though many have tried. Though many may ask of him, why did you do, or how could you? It is not of man to ask these questions. This tree didn't just simply find its place near the road, but as we know that God willed this tree to grow. This tree was destined Yes, even predestined not to bear fruit, but to bear leaves, to serve as a, a shadow and an illustration and a prophecy, really, of what would happen to those who would 
put off with all their efforts many greeneries, many leaves, and yet bear not fruit. Jesus' reply is dependence upon he who passes by. Remember all the stories, all the accounts in these Gospels where Jesus would pass by and someone sick would need healing. He simply had to come by. He simply must speak. He must touch. All the many instances of Jesus' presence denote both life for some and death for others. It's no different with this tree. The Christ is coming. The church is even pictured here possibly as a tree. Maybe we should see that the church is not a cursed tree, but one who is preserved, and when he passes by, he will be delighted with the fruit that it bears if she truly belonged to him. But the, uh, the other side to that coin is that if the Christ is passing by and he sees a tree, it is within his power, within his reign, within his ability, within his duty as a judge to cast the tree down to proclaim over it that it shall bear no fruit. And it is not Jesus' goodness that shall be called into question. The tree is responsible. The tree should put off after its kind. Now the reality is, what is its kind? Is it your father, Satan, father of lies? Or is it in fact, Jesus to Christ says truly I say if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what was done to the fig tree but even if you say to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea it will happen in all things you ask in prayer believing you will receive this is not denoting really wonderful miracles here Jesus didn't say if you believe you can avoid being cast down though we know that that is a reality he's telling the disciples you can do exactly as i did he says if you have date faith and do not doubt you will be able to do what is done to the fig tree you will be able to see and reveal the nakedness of sin isn't that interesting isn't that our responsibility as a church not only to ourselves, but to those around us, that we will be able to reveal that deceitful-looking tree that is putting off tons of beautiful leaves and then people are going to it and there is no fruit. They're being taken, taken, <coughs> excuse me, taken aback by a false gospel, by a lie, by a, a self-righteousness. Jesus says, if you have faith, this nakedness can be revealed. You can cast these mountains into the sea, these obstacles, these giant things that man alone cannot do, what he's telling us is that Christ alone is able to save. It lies within the power of Christ and the position of Christ as both, uh, as both partner and, uh, and judge to do just that, to judge over the tree what shall be its outcome. There was a picture here depicted in the fig tree of those, as we would soon see in Mark's account, uh, the very same thing in a different way happening as Jesus would go into the quote-unquote place of worship, the temple overturned the money changers. They looked like they were religious. They looked like they were following uh, God's commandments. They looked and professed to be outwardly a people of God, yet there was something something happening there that was not worship. It's not a coincidence that these things occur so closely together. It's a reality that Jesus is cleansing. When Jesus is cleansing, there is only one of two possibilities. Jesus is cleansing and making whole those who were dead and those who were partial, those who were failing. And the other way that Jesus cleans is like a spring cleaning. He's taking out what is bad. 
He does this with the church as well. Jesus is cleansing, power revealing, we sing. Did it with the fig tree. He did it with the temple. For some it is good, Christ cleansing. For others it is bad. Wheat and tares. Another illustration, much like that of the fig tree. But what we must understand is that this vineyard, this orchard, this church, anything else that you can think of that falls under creation, it belongs to him. He's not to be questioned because his fruit is good. It's loving. It's kind. It's gentle. It's long-suffering. It's patient. It's faithful. Not to question this guy, but simply look to him for cleansing and to know what he prunes is wonderful. What he cuts away is just as equally wonderful. What God permits us to do and what he permits us to have is both wonderful and what he allows us not to engage in is wonderful. Why? Because we simply have faith. We've responded to the gospel with true repentance. We deny sin. We hate sin. Not only do we hate sin, but we love the things that God calls holy. And we believe what he says in Ephesians, that all of these things are working together for good. Listen, when this tree went down, I can just imagine, what if it would have been my tree? What if it had been on my road, and this man comes walking by, and he curses my tree, and it quits growing? I would be devastated. It's kind of like if your cow gets out and somebody runs over it. I mean, you, you hate that. That's the physical response of an emotional man. But the response of a spiritual man should be that this was done for the glory of God. That yes, even this cursed tree is to serve unto me as a gospel model to rely upon Christ and to look for fruit that is like Christ. Not worldly religion, but true spiritual cleanliness to be holy, to be righteous. Some will look at this passage Forget that it speaks in any way of sinfulness or nakedness or even human beings. All they want to go is go to that last line and say, man, I can move mountains. It's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that there is submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it, we, in some ways, yes, have a decision to make. The reality is that if we choose wisely, it is because wisdom is from heaven. It is because God has provided the answer of the tongue. It is because he has changed the heart, because he has created in me a new, clean creature. In essence, what we see is that all shall submit to the lordship of Christ, that his rule and reign uh, begins with the smallest of creation and ends with the largest, that there is none left out, that we rely upon Christ, not only for salvation, but for fruit. Not only for fruit, but for root. From the very beginning to the end, this is the true Alpha and Omega. This is the I Am. He's everything. He's the keeper. He's the dresser. He is that which is blessing, or whom is blessing with new wine. Jesus is not only the root, but Jesus is the fruit. He presents those who are grafted into him as himself, as the bride to Christ. There's no other way into heaven. I've said it many times that the path is so narrow, and the gate so narrow, it's presented as a sheep's gate, path to destruction wide, path the gate both encompassing so much room that all of sinners may enter into hell but the gate to heaven is so narrow that only christ will fit what that means is we must be in him should we find ourselves apart from him it's only a matter of time before we are cut down before we are cast before we are cursed the reality is the tree did not need to be cursed 
twice for one curse on all of the earth was enough. But the second, seemingly more minor curse was to serve as proof and as evidence that this Jesus is the Christ. That he is able to cause the dead to live and the living to die. He holds within his scope and his authority the power to raise the dead and to call others to it. This is the Christ that we serve. Not just some gardener who cursed a fig tree. We're talking about a Savior who in God's providence cursed the entire creation for their sinfulness at the same time stepped into his creation as man to save her from herself. We sing it, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Matthew and Mark and Luke and the rest of the disciples and the prophets all the way back to the Genesis account were all testifying of a Savior who was able to save. Not only able to save, but willing to save. Not only willing and able to save, but who is saving. Because the tree that has come from his root has continued to bear fruit. Christians are bearing fruit. And there's not some of these delightful tastes of fruit, but it is in fact all of what Galatians proclaims. It is not partial holiness and righteousness. It is the full righteousness of God in Christ. It is not limited to some, but uh, encompassing all of Christ's attributes. When he saves a sinner, he doesn't make them a little bit like him. He makes them all the way. And that is what he does when he tarries. He is using this life he's using all of the circumstances and events all of the cursings that you may see and all of the bad times and all of the good times to express his glory and his goodness to uh, reveal to us the need constantly to find ourselves in his word to be cleansed by him to be nourished by him it's interesting that we yearn so much for fruit from a tree and all the while the root is what is causing the fruit to taste so good why can a christian look so good why do we think of goodness when we see uh, followers of christ embarking on these lifelong journeys to serve the lord and savior why does it looks so good why do we call it good it's because it can only be good if it comes from christ it can only be good if he has laid his hand to it if he has caused it to bring forth in fact he is the only one that can let's go to the lord in prayer almighty god as we come before you once again lord we just pray that uh, we not consider this a story of a tree but a story of a savior the testimony of a savior who has in many ways gone to a tree this one to curse and later to a cursed tree to save what a wonderful savior is Jesus my lord able to take away every burden and every care or as we read last week that we may cast our cares upon him we sing it he cares for me not with just word but with deed God if we are to be trees if we are to be living planted by living waters we must be rooted in Christ. We must find 
everything that we need, every provision in your word, in your declaration, and in your Son, who is this living word. Lord, let us not rely upon the seasons, nor the sun, nor the water, nor any fertilizer or anything else that could be attributed to growth and fruitfulness, Lord, but let us rely upon Jesus the Christ. Let us see that he is truly sweeter than honey. That he is, in fact, nourishment to our navel and marrow to our bones. That he is the only thing living, Lord, and that uh, no matter how many leaves we may put off, our nakedness is not hidden from the Almighty God. The very God, Christ Jesus, who is able to see our nakedness is also he who can cover it. Lord, and from it even cause us to bear fruit. Lord, we simply look to you this morning for the increase. Lord, pray that you would bless the reading of your word, the consideration over it throughout the week. Lord, all the many illustrations that we even miss uh, that have been presented by commentators and theologians past about what this meant. A vision and illustration of judgment. Yet the graciousness of God that we may see it and that we may flee into the everlasting arms. Lord, we pray this morning that you would receive our worship or that you would bless our meal and our time together or that you would exalt the name of our Savior Jesus Christ and that all glory and all honor would be attributed to him as is due his name. In Jesus' name we pray.